It's great to worship together again. I've been away for four weeks and uh, on church camps and stuff like that in Asia and doing some training for the churches that are there. And it's great to be able to come back and just worship together. Uh, I hope you miss me, but I, I, I miss you, just to let you know. <laughs> Wonderful. And I'm sure you have been enjoying this series uh, by, put together by the, our preaching team. And the book of Acts, we all know, is a missional book. Since the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, the gospel began to spread. But what happened was in the beginning, the Jewish people kind of take it, take the gospel that has Jewish roots, wrapped it up in a Jewish flag, and pretty much kept it to themselves until God began to move and begin to scatter them. And then the gospel began to go across and jump from the, the, the Jewish world into the Gentile world. And Acts chapter 10, which we are going to look at this morning, is a pivotal moment when this jump from the, the, the gospel from the Jewish world into the Gentile world became so... Um, it, it just went off from there. And Acts chapter 10, which I'm going to invite you to go with me, I'm going to read for you a narrative in Acts chapter 10 from verse 1. It's a rather long passage, but let's read it through, capture the essence of it, and then I'll bring up for you one key thing that will enable us to become more and more missional in our approach, okay? And so let's go now to Acts chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, you go there with me. And we're going, I'm going to read for you Acts chapter 10 from verse 1 to 35. Okay, follow along with me as I read this beautiful story of Cornelius uh, for you. Acts chapter 10 from verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man called, named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing, and he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. And one day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, so God called him by name. Cornelius stared at him in fear and said, what, what is it, Lord? He asked. And the angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angels who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. And then he told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was, was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He had a vision. And he saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God had made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Now while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the man sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. And they called out asking if, if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. 
And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up, go downstairs, do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the man, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? Then listen to what he said. The man replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous, God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. And then Peter invited the man into the house to be guests. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers in Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea and Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him, fell on his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. He said, stand up, he said, I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, you are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit the Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anything impure or unclean. But when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? And then Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remember the gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And then Peter began to speak. And here is a theological anchor to this entire narrative. The theological anchor goes like this. I now realize, when I say theological anchor, I mean it reveals something about who God is. Listen to what it says here. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but He accepts from every nation the one who fears Him and does what is right. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank You for Your precious Word, and I pray that Your Word this morning will instruct us. It will renovate our minds so that those things that are not from You will be shaken away, but those things that are from You seal it to our hearts. Lord, I pray that You will anoint Your servant so that I may deliver Your Word with clarity, with simplicity, but also with authority. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. This is a surprising but a very pivotal passage uh, in the book of Acts. It was the first time that the gospel was going into a Gentile household. Now, the gospel of Jesus Christ, I believe, is for all mankind, whether Jews or Gentiles. But this is not an easy thing, for, especially for those who are steeped in the Jewish tradition of being God's chosen people. They were such a unique people chosen by God that it was hard for them to even fathom this. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 10 onwards, it actually records for us the journey that God must take Peter through in order to help him overcome these deep-seated prejudice uh, that, and then to be able to see this truth that the gospel was meant for all mankind. And this, if, if there is one thing harder than learning, I think it will be unlearning. Is that true? One thing harder than to learn is to unlearn. 
Okay, and it's hard to remove convictions that are deep-seated and that are ingrained, you know, through years of teaching and training. Uh, Peter, as a young Jewish boy, was raised to believe that some things are clean or kosher and some things are unclean, and particularly in two areas. One, it will be their food. In a Jewish household, uh, they, are, they, they, they all know that there are certain animals that are clean and certain animals they are unclean and they are brought up to avoid all this non-kosher food and unfortunately it's not just food that they deal with it's also people and in the Jewish world anyone who is not a Jew is unclean and as such to be a devout Jew they must uh, there are certain food and certain people that you should avoid and with a background like this, and you've got to pick, put yourself in the shoes of Peter the Apostle, right? Uh, in a background like this, for Peter to be truly missioner, God must first help him to overcome all these biases and prejudices that are deeply ingrained in him. If not, then Peter will never be able to minister cross-culturally. Are you with me? That's where the problem was. Okay? And God did this. God had to help Peter overcome all these prejudices and all these biases. And he did that through a Gentile by the name of Cornelius. Okay? And he was a centurion, we were told, in the Roman army. Now, what kind of a man was Cornelius? I think he was a rare breed in the sense that even though he was a rough and tough uh, Gentile soldier, he had a tender heart towards God. And the Bible tells us that he was a devout, God-fearing, and generous man. And one afternoon at 3, 3 p.m., God visited him in a vision. And in that vision, God actually called him by name, called him Cornelius, you see. And he, then he was given addresses and names of people that he would meet. And by the way, this is the God we serve a God who actually knows our name, a God who knows our addresses, and a God who knows our personal situation. And when God showed up and talked to Cornelius like that, face to face, heart to heart, how did Cornelius respond? Look at chapter 10, verse 4 to 6 now. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. And the angel answered, Your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. And he's staying with another Simon, this time Simon the tanner, whose house is by the sea. And immediately Cornelius obeyed, sent two of his servants to Joppa to get Peter. And so the servants went. Now in the meantime, God was preparing Peter on the other side. And the Bible tells us that Peter went up to the roof at high noon and he was about to pray. And he would most likely be under an awning or a seal because of the midday sun. So he was lying down, and he was under it. And while he was there, it was lunchtime. He was feeling hungry. So he wanted to eat something. And while his host was preparing some lunch for him, God visited Peter in a vision. That was what happened. And so it's interesting, by the way, that to notice that what he saw in his dream kind of aligned with what was going on around him, which is why, you know, did you ever notice this, that when you have a dream or something like that, the things that you are experiencing somehow get into your dream? And I think Peter's dream, his, and when he had that trance, that vision, it was something like this. What did he see? 
What was that vision about? First, he saw a sheet. It's like an awning, right? Like a sail that came down from heaven. And then on that, that sheet were all kinds of unclean animals. And this could lightly be in Peter's mind as well. I think Peter may be thinking a little bit about these unclean animals. You know why? Because he was staying in the home of a tenor. Okay, Simon was a, the, the tenor. What do tenors do? Basically, they deal with animal hides. That's what tenors do. They take animals and they get their skin, take their hide, and then they clean them and then they sell them. So can you imagine if you were Peter? He was already a little bit worried about whether the food that they prepare for him, is it kosher or not? With all these unclean animals running around. He must be thinking about all these things. And suddenly, he saw this vision of unclean animals being lowered from heaven. And worst of all, he heard a voice declaring to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. His immediate response, almost instinctive, he cried out, Surely not, Lord. And Peter replied, No, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. In these words, you can already begin to sense the, the bias that is in his heart. You know, he was, he was so deeply rooted. The conviction was so strong, it just came out of him. In fact, he just shouted almost instinctively, Surely not, Lord. That phrase in itself huh, is a contradiction in terms, isn't it? To call God Lord and then at the same time tell him, surely not. Are you with me? <laughs> it's weird, right? You call him Lord, he's master of everything, he's king of kings, lord of lords, you know, the super wise one, and then you say, surely not. You're correcting the guy who is <laughs> at the top. It's contradiction, there's something wrong here. And then he went on to make this statement. He says, I have never eaten anything unclean. That is a language of legalism. I have never done this. I've never done that. It is being proud about something we do not do when we think that others do. You get me? I've never done anything like that. We say things like, I don't dance, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't vape, and I don't go out with girls that do. And then you think the world should be impressed with you. And I've never done this, I've never done that. There are things... Of course, I understand. There are things that we should not do simply because they're not good, they're not right. No doubt about that. But just because we don't do them does not make us superior. Are you with me? Just because we don't do doesn't make us superior because at the end of the day, it's all by His grace, not by our own goodness. And Peter said, Surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. But the voice goes on to reply, Do not call anything impure that God had made clean. And that vision keep coming three times, and then it was over. Question, why is this happening to Peter? What was God doing in that instance? I think God was preparing Peter to overcome his deep-seated prejudice he had towards the Gentiles. Isn't it interesting that this is Peter, the apostle, born again, word-based, spirit-filled apostle of the New Testament church, and he can still harbor prejudices and biases in his heart that needs to be uprooted. Why? Because our background, and, and hear me, brothers and sisters, our background, our upbringing, can very well instill strongholds in our mind that do need to be demolished and put down in Jesus' name. And sometimes we don't realize it, but they are there. You, know, you think about this. 
Do you have biases in your life? Do you have prejudices in your heart? Do you? <laughs> you know, we can often be blindsided, you know, by our own prejudices. It can be so subtle and so ingrained in our culture, in our upbringing, that we don't even think about it. Let me bring it down to practical terms. Now, what are some of the prejudices that I think we, we sometimes struggle with? I'll outline a few for you. Number one is racial. Racial prejudice. Unconsciously, you and I can hold certain views of different races. We actually can have stereotypes in our mind. You know? Stereotypes that we created for different races and people groups. All Chinese are like that. They only like to eat, you know. So that's how that's a, that's a racial prejudice that goes on inside. All Indians are like that, you know. All Malays are like that. All indigenous people are like that. All Jews are like that. Many of you know what I'm talking about. Even as I'm talking to you now, you, it comes to your mind. You know what I'm talking about. I can even tell you exactly what they are. But they'll be offensive to do so from this pulpit, so I won't. But you know what I mean. It is through this incident in Acts chapter 10 that the Apostle Peter came to realize that the Lord has given of the same Holy Spirit to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And there is no racial divide. God is no respecter of persons. He is the God of all mankind. Peter himself later testified before the Jerusalem church in Acts 15, verse 5 to 11. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and then said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Then the apostles and the elders met to consider this question. And after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. And this is what he said. He said, brothers, we know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, shows that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. The Apostle Paul says the same thing. There is no divide between races. See, if we are all equal before the cross. Now, Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 and 13. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we are all given the one Spirit to drink. What makes us one? It's not our church membership. It's not the denomination we belong to. What makes us one is that the same Holy Spirit dwells in all of us. That's what makes us one. Do we have racial prejudices? Well, according to Amnesty International, there's a report that came out 6 October 2021. It says one-third of all Australians have experienced racism in the workplace or in educational facilities. 
more than two-thirds of students from a non-Anglo background reported facing racism at school. That's the 2021 report. Reconciliation Australia reported that in 2020, 52% of Indigenous people have recently experienced an incident of racial prejudice in the previous six months. And this report, this figure is an almost 10% increase from 2018. So there is still some racism going on. In 2020, 500 incidences of an anti-Asian racism, I think this is also tied up with COVID, reported that the Asian Australian Alliance, almost 60% of these racial incidents involve physical or verbal harassment. Many of these racial attacks occurring in public places. My, here's my point, brothers and sisters. It's something for us to just be aware, to take note of, because it's so subtle, it's so ingrained because of upbringing and culture, sometimes we don't realize it. The goal here is not to deny our race or our cultural background because our God is a God of culture. But even in the new heaven and the new earth, I got news for you. Race and culture is still present. But when these cultures and races come together, they are not divided, but they are united. How do I know that? Revelation 7 verse 9. Listen to this. After this I look, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language. You see, they are all still there, but they are now standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They are wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hand. In the end, brothers and sisters, every race, every culture will stand as one before the throne of God, worshipping Him. Somebody ought to say amen to that. We're looking forward to that. And we can all stand as one and worship Him. This is the picture we should hold in our hearts. This is who we are in Christ. Why? Because Christ has broken down every wall of division through the cross. Hallelujah. Ephesians 2, 14 to 18. Listen to this. For He Himself, Jesus, is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed that barrier, the dividing war of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law and his commands and regulation. And his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came to preach peace to you who are far away, peace to those who are near. For through Him, we both now have access to the Father by one Spirit. Hallelujah. We tear down every racial divide, every racial bias and prejudice when we say amen to that. This. Watch this racial bias. Here's the second one. Gender bias. Gender bias. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 to 29, say, Paul wrote this, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There are neither Jew nor Gentile, right? No more racial divide. Neither slave nor free. Nor are there, is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You know, one of the best kept secrets of, in Christianity is the enormous role that women played in the early church and beyond. The enormous role that women played. 
Both Christ, Christian and secular historians have attested many times to the significant involvement of women in the early growth of Christianity. In the ancient world, Christianity is the only religion that proposes the idea that male and female are equal in standing before God and co-heirs in Christ. Of course, there are essential differences between a man and a woman, but these differences are not in terms of superiority and inferiority. It's nothing to do with that. The way I see the difference is something like this. It's a difference between a fork and a knife. There's a difference between a fork and a knife in a, in a sense that they don't perform the same function. How many of you agree a fork is for a different function from a knife? But we use both of them at the same time for the same purpose. For what? Food. To eat. <laughs> to eat with. Same purpose, two different instruments completely, but yet used at the same time. And I think that's how I see men and women in the church. They don't perform, they're like fork and spoon, uh, they're like fork and knife. They don't perform the same function, yet we use them at the same time for eating. And we do not insist, right, that both be used in the same way. A knife is for the function of cutting, the, the fork is for the function of picking food. But they are not, they don't have the same purpose, but they have the same, they don't have the same function, but they have the same purpose. And they are used at the same time. In the same way, men and women serve in different functions in the church, but they ultimately serve God and the body of Christ together. Are you with me on this? See, I think that we are equal in spiritual standing but maybe not in functional responsibility, simply because that's how God ordained it. We are equal in standing, in value, in giftedness, but we are complementary in our responsibilities and roles. See, and the two are one. And gender stereotyping continue to exist today. And we need to break some of this. You know, for example, Everybody will say the same thing. Oh, women are more emotional, less analytical. Is it? I've seen some really analytical women. Ask my wife, you know. <laughs> Man, she's sharper than me in many things when it comes to analyzing situations and all that. Women tend to be irrational and reactive. Oh, you should have seen some men, man when they start to react, you know. No, women talk and gossip too much. Oh, you haven't met some of my friends, guys. You know, they can really talk and gossip too. You know, women are better in nurturing, men are better in leading. We prefer employing men than women. Why? Because women must give birth. Oh, yo. Thank God that they are the ones giving birth, not you, you know. <laughs> women need to be paid. No, women don't need to be paid too much because they have husbands to support them. What a thinking. You know, girls should like red and pink. Then men should like blue and green. Is it? Real men wear pink, you know. Have you seen my pink shirt? <laughs> you know, nothing wrong with that. What about our attitude, you know, towards those who are struggling with same-sex attraction? Think about that. Do we despise them? Even though some are seeking to stay celibate you know, in obedience to the Word of God. How are they different then from heterosexuals like you and I who may be tempted, but we choose not to yield to the temptation of committing sexual sin with the opposite sex? 
We can have that struggle too. But we are also seeking to stay pure in obedience to the Word of God. See, and, and are we prone to judging others based on labors and stereotypes without getting to know the person and what they are actually going through? Do we hold prejudices based on gender and orientation? I think we let the Holy Spirit speak to us this morning. What God is looking for is men who fear Him and then do what is right. Not the things that we struggle with in terms of temptations and all that. But you know, temptation, we do not yield. And God looks for people like that. One, racial biases, they can be there. Gender biases, we need to tear them down. Here's the third one, generational biases. A founding uh, partner of Human Resources Consultancy called Future Workplace and the co-author of the book, The 2020 Workplace, Jean Master is her name, uh, captures this challenge very well. He made this statement, it's important to be aware of generational tensions, loosely defined as a lack of respect for someone who is of a different generation from you among colleagues. You know, some of us can have generational biases because we attach certain stereotypes to certain generations. For example, to think that all millennials are entitled, self-obsessed and lazy. That's not fair. That's not true. That's a bias. All Gen Z have short att attention span and like to job hop. Baby boomers have a hard time with office technology. You know, that's all biases that we all hold inside of our mind. Yes, there are differences in generations due to upbringing and cultural changes, but we must not allow broad stroke differences to become true for every individual. That's the challenge I want to bring to all of us. It affects our, our, our mission, us going missioner because we hold too many prejudices inside of our own mind. We must seek to treat everyone as an individual made in the image of God and formed by His grace. Let's learn to appreciate the good in every generation. We glean from the experience of the old and then we enjoy the energy and creativity of the young. That's what the church, multi-generation church is about. I like Proverbs 20, verse 29, where it says, The glory of a young man is in their strength, but grey hair is the splendour of the old. Hallelujah. No need to colour so much. <laughs> grey hair is your glory and your splendour. The wise man points out here that the excellence that is in both generations, young and old, the young have strength, the old have wisdom, put the two together, we can advance the purposes of the kingdom. So instead of emphasizing the differences, it's better to embrace you know, the, the, the redemptive gifts of both generations and then use it for God's agenda. How many of you will say amen to that? Isn't it true? We need both the young and old. My late mentor, Dr. John Gallop, used to say this, if only the old can and the young know. <laughs> I think that's true. If only the old can. Sometimes I want but cannot. And only the young know. See, and we need each other. The young need the old to remind them of the past. The old needs the young to envision them about the future. The young needs the encouragement of the old. The old needs the enthusiasm of the young. The young need the wisdom of the old. The old need the strength and creativity and innovation of the young. But both must learn, want to learn from each other. So I want to encourage all the younger people here. Young ones, listen to me. 
I want to encourage the young ones to not sideline the older ones, but to reach out to them and want to glean from them. Learn to glean from their elders. See, at the same time, I want to challenge the older ones among us not to despise the youthfulness of the young. And we humble ourselves to learn from them. Whenever I think about this, I think of our founding pastor, Pastor Cheng Lai. I think, Pastor, you are a classic example of an older gentleman who have no problem sitting on the feet of the younger people in our church. You have no problem sitting on the feet of our younger pastors in our church. And, you know, and for the younger pastors among us, please be reminded that you get to stand behind this sacred podium only because of the authority of the Word of God that you preach and the appointment of the church. And I, I'm so thankful for Pastor Ching Lai and his, he, the, the example he set for all of us his willingness to sit here Sunday after Sunday, listening to people who are young enough to be his grandchildren. And yet, every time, after every Sunday, you know what Pastor would do? He would send personal messages of encouragement and affirmation to our younger pastors. And I know he's doing this out of the posture of a lifelong learner. And for that, Pastor, we honour you. And thank you for this. I pray that your tribe will increase. And here's my point. When the generations come together, each with their contribution, something powerful happens. And I think the key is for each generation to recognize, honor, and esteem the strength of the other. And we tap into each other's strengths and advance God's purposes. I'll leave you one last thing before we close, and that's social biases. Social biases. James chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. The Apostle James called out the early church on this. He said, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing gold rings and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also come in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, and then you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, then have you not discriminated amongst yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? Another big prejudice is between the rich, the poor, the illiterate, and the, and the literate, the upper and the lower class. And this is so subtle at times, but it is there. We subconsciously give deference to the, to the, to the wealthy, the, the well-healed, and tend to overlook the poor and the needy. When we have social prejudices and biases, we subconsciously rank people according to their economic status, their family lineage, jobs, job status, level of education, things, class division, and things like that. And I think we need to break this in Jesus' name. We can subtly accord preferential treatment to different classes of people. The Apostle James called this out in the early church. What about you and I? As I was preparing for this sermon, I was letting the Holy Spirit renovate my own mind thinking and pull out some of these things and I had to bring it before the Lord and say, God, I'm, I'm sorry. I pulled down all these prejudices and all these biases in Jesus' name. You know what's God's answer to all of these prejudices and biases? It was the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost, when God brought, pulled down all these prejudices and biases by pouring out His Holy Spirit on all flesh, in fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. Read what happened in Acts 2, right, verse 16 to 21. 
No, this is what was, when the Spirit was poured out, it says, no, this was what was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days, God said, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see vision. Old men dream dreams. And even on my servant, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. You see, when the Spirit was poured out, all these barriers I talk about, they were broken down in Jesus' name. Listen to what he says. I will pour out my spirit on all peoples. That means no more racial prejudice. The Holy Spirit is meant for all, whatever your ethnicity. I will pour out my spirit on all people. He put down gentle prejudices when he said, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. He pulled down all generational prejudice. Your young men will see vision. Old men will dream dreams. He put down social prejudices, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit. Isn't that true? When the spirit was poured out, all these barriers were torn down. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whatever your race, whatever your gender, generation, or social standing, we are one in the spirit. Hallelujah. Let me tell you this, brothers and sisters, the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all mankind. And we say amen to that. And today, we must pull down all these prejudices and biases in our heart and mind. We pull that down so that we can become truly missional, so that we can cross all these barriers, gender, racial, all these barriers, we can cross it and we can, be, we can reach all people for Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be truly missional. Amen. Why don't you stand with me this morning? City campus, join me also. Would you stand to your feet together? Thank you, Lord. You know, this morning, I, I pray that the Lord will just, in His own way, pull down these strongholds, biases and prejudices within our heart. Um, so I'm going to invite you for a few moments my time is running out but for a few moments can I invite you wherever you are allow the word of God to just renovate our minds and our heart before we sing this closing song I, I want to invite you to just let the Holy Spirit speak to us for just a few moments even as I speak he may pull, bring up to your mind some things that you need to put aside, some biases and prejudices that we need to pull down within our own hearts. Let the Lord speak to you this morning. Let's have a few moments where we can just do that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Wherever you are, just let the Holy Spirit speak to us as we reflect on all that you've heard. Are there biases and prejudices in our life? The words, certain groups of people, sometimes I understand that we could have been hurt, we could have been wounded by different people groups, but we pull them down. We don't allow this to become 
a stronghold in our, in our hearts. But we pull them down in the name of Jesus. We surrender this to the Lord. Gender. That we are not allowed the stereotypes of this world to grab our hearts. What about generational? Between younger and older people. Let's learn to embrace one another. Social biases that we can have. We say, God, I pull these things down because we are all one in Christ. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that has made us one. Thank you, Lord. If you have these things, we just quietly, we raise our, as a mark of surrender, we lift them before the Lord. And then you allow me to pray before we sing. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that your word will come and renovate all of our minds. Lord, every one of us here, we have biases and prejudices that comes out of our background, our upbringing, the hurts that we go through. But this morning, we lift them to you and we say, Father, forgive us. Lord, we surrender these biases. Remove them from our language and our, and, and our words so that we'll never say anything demeaning to people of a different race or gender or generation or different social standing. God, help us to really walk with you in humility and in unity with one another. Lord, we just surrender all these things to you. We ask for the cleansing of the blood of Jesus. Wash our heart and our minds so that we can become truly missional people, one in Christ. Lord, you are on the move and your desire is to see the entire world safe. Every people group represented before your throne of grace. So Lord, may you speak to us this morning. Thank you, Lord. Clean us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.